Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Hey guys, Perry here. Let's make some mayhem. Shoot and loot your way through a mayhem-fueled adventure in Borderlands 3. Blast through new worlds and enemies as one of four new playable vault hunters, each with deep skill trees, abilities, and customization. Play solo or with your friends to take on insane enemies, score loads of loot, and save the galaxy from a fanatical threat. Mayhem is available now on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Pre-order now at Borderlands.com, rated M for Mature. Let's take a quick break. You know what's one of my favorite things to do post-dancing rehearsal? Not gonna lie, it's putting on some sweatpants immediately and having a drink. You all know I love a glass of wine or two, but I also like to switch it up. So lately, Jason and I have been making a little cocktail at night using Rum Haven. Rum Haven believes Mother Nature did things right, so it's crafted using real coconut water and not using artificial preservatives or flavorings. It is so incredibly refreshing. I mentioned I like to add it to a cocktail, but it's also actually great over ice with a splash of club soda. It tastes like I'm on vacation, sitting on an island somewhere far, far away, which is without a doubt a great feeling, especially during these crazy times. So make sure to follow at Rum Haven on Instagram because they post all types of these seasonal recipes. They do giveaways and tips. Plus, when you go to discover.rumhaven.com, you can find their latest blogs, quizzes, and any promotions they have going on. On one of their latest blog posts, they actually have some tips about planning your virtual watch party, which is pretty perfect since everyone's favorite reality show is back on Tuesdays. Be sure to have a little virtual drink with me, sip some rum haven, maybe even while you're listening to the pod. Let me know what you think. On today's show, we're talking about J-Lo making the big bucks at the box office. On top of that, MoviePass is gone for good. And then finally, we had a big win for Jojo Rabbit at TIFF 2019.
Hello and welcome to this brand new edition of Collider Movie Talk at 9 a.m. Pacific. We have a great show for you today and we're going to have a whole bunch of panel discussions with some wonderful guests that might be John Roca and Scott Mance. But first, we're introducing a brand new segment of the show. We're doing a news rundown. First thing, we're calling it The Call Sheet. Here we go. As expected, It Chapter 2 took the number one spot at the box office with a 55% drop and another $40.7 million. But the big story here is Hustlers. Hustlers overperformed, and it is now the highest opening weekend for STX. The movie made a stellar $33.2 million, which tops the last movie that held that record for STX, Bad Moms, in 2016 with $23.8 million. Big difference there. Going down the lineup now. Next up, we had Angel Has Fallen, which fell 26.5%, made another $4 million. After that, Good Boys came in at number four with 22.3%, drop at another $4.3 million. And then finally, The Lion King lost a mere 17.8% of the box office, making another $3.6 million. And no, I didn't forget about The Goldfinch. The Goldfinch didn't come close to cracking the top five. That one only made $2.6 million, which was Good enough for eighth place. Not a great start on that one. We're going to have a full discussion on it later in the show. Story number two, MoviePass officially shut down on September 14th. This news probably won't come as a surprise if you've been following the company's news cycle over the last two years, which included everything from price hikes, system shutdowns, alterations to the business model, layoffs, and even MoviePass changing user passwords without their knowledge. On top of that, we've got a recent TechCrunch report that claims the company exposed tens of thousands of customer card numbers and personal credit cards because a critical server was not protected with a password. Apparently, the MoviePass parent company, Helios and Matheson Analytics, is still trying to find financing to fund the operation, but they also stated there can be no assurance that any such financing will be obtained or available on terms acceptable to the committee. So that might be it for good for MoviePass. Next up, Haley Atwell update. So news first hit that Atwell was joining the Mission Impossible franchise last week, but we didn't really know the details. And now she took to social media to explain it a little bit, basically confirming that she is part of the next two Mission Impossible movies. She took to Instagram to express her enthusiasm, confirming she'll be in both Mission Impossible 7 and 8. And she also described her role as the female lead. What could this mean for Rebecca Ferguson's character? We're going to have to wait and see because plot details are being kept under wrap wraps christopher mcquarrie is returning for both mission impossible 7 and 8 which are going to be shot back to back and filming filming is expected to begin next year so two more mission impossible movies to look forward to and here is something that i'm really looking forward to nickelodeon is gearing up for the return of the midnight society with an all-new are you afraid of the dark three-part limited series event Part one is going to debut on Friday, October 11th at 7 p.m. Part two and three will follow on the 18th and 25th of October. If you're looking for a taste of what this reboot has to offer, you can go on over to Collider.com, which has the latest trailer for the miniseries. Next up, it is on to some Toronto International Film Festival 2019 coverage because they announced the awards and Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit won the coveted People's Choice Awards. Nine of the 
the last 10 winners of this award have gone on to score at least a Best Picture nomination. And last year's winner of this award, Green Book, obviously became the Best Picture winner. The runner-up for this prize was Noah Baumbach's Netflix drama Marriage Story starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And then third place went to Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. All right, we got a lot to dig into today, but before we get to our panel discussions, we've got a little something to share from some Goldfinch coverage at TIFF. We had a conversation with Sarah Paulson and Oaks Fagley. Check it out. One of the things that I love most about this story is that the Goldfinch, the painting, isn't just a famous painting. It's something with real history and meaning, and it fills a void in his life. So what is the Goldfinch in your life? Do you have any, you know, personal thing, you know, that thing you would grab in a fire, something like that, that means the world to you? I mean, it's not like an object, but my dog. I'm going to say um, the same thing. Yeah. Only mine's no. a photograph of my, my dead dog, oh. but still. <laughs> I hate to be a big downer, but I'm glad that we have the same the same. Uh, yeah. Um, definitely dog my dog. dog. He's a Shih Tzu poodle. You can't say Shih Tzu on television. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you could say a lot more than that on this channel. Shih Tzu poodle. Shih Tzu poodle. And he, he's awesome. He doesn't actually look that much like a Shih Tzu poodle. But he, um, yeah, he has name? so much character. His name is Mochi. Mochi. Oh, yeah, Mochi. Um, and I don't know. He's just the one thing that I go to when I'm sad or, or when I'm feeling lost or down or anything like that. Like, I could just sit there and pet Mochi. <laughs> yeah, you sure can. It helps me. I can't do that anymore, Oaks, because my dog's dead. Oof, I, I'm glad. <laughs> you need to fill that void in your life. Get yourself a puppy. Well, life is, life. you know, having it's a dog crazy. is a big responsibility. We should go dog shopping, except for we can't shop it. Hey guys, Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule of Two is that show. It drops it on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. All right, it's time to say hello to my panelists. It's Roca and Mance. We're talking about the box office. This, box was, office. this was an interesting weekend at the box <laughs> office. Just as a little refresher here, Hustlers made $33.2 million on a $10,225 per theater average. To compare, Goldfinch opened up with $2.6 million on a $1,039 per theater. I, I can't believe it. So first, I'm just going to ask you guys, what happened here? What worked super well for Hustlers that didn't work well for the Goldfinch? Uh, Jennifer Lopez, uh, yeah, first of all. That, yeah. got great reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, the last I checked on Rotten Tomatoes, Hustlers was at 87%. Mm -hmm. And uh, listen, you know, Jennifer Lopez, like, she hasn't really made a really, really, really great movie since Out of Sight. Yeah. That came out 21 years ago. And she's had a lot of, you know, there have been some movies that did well, like Monster in Law, like Made in Manhattan. Mm. But I think, you know, for, for people to see that Jennifer Lopez is really just embracing who she is, plus really giving a great performance, you know, a lot of people are saying that it's Oscar-worthy, and I think mm. it absolutely is. But 
I think ultimately here, social media, the word of mouth was very, very strong. It went viral. Everyone went to see it. John. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say that I got to agree. The, the critics were so strong for this movie. Some people, I saw one people, one person call it like a female Goodfellas movie. That's a good, strong Absolutely. compliment that makes you understand what movie you're walking into. Because I think the STX, I think the uh, head guy there, he said people tried to dismiss this as just a stripper movie, but it's much more than that. And that's what the audience response has been coming out of critics response as well. Also, I think you bring up a great point, not because the J-Lo story is very interesting. This is a woman who came out onto the street, you know, she's in living color as a fly girl, out of sight. Soderbergh gets a great performance from her, but you're right, we haven't reached those heights since out of sight in terms of respect from the critics, respect from the public for her acting ability overall. Here's a film that takes advantage of it, plus it's an underdog story, both for her and for the story of these strippers getting one over on Wall Street, the public anger towards the people with money and the rich, that's got to be factored in. And yes, okay, you throw it in. These are beautiful women stripping as well. You can't deny that as part of the equation. It's all combining. And what a shock, a diverse cast brings out people to come see this. Constance Wu, other actresses involved in this. It's uh, it's It shocked me. I didn't think it was going to do 32. So the fact that it did speaks volumes about their promotional campaign. I think one of my favorite qualities about the movie is that Lorene Scafaria, the director, she doesn't ogle her cast here. In fact, she reveres them. Jennifer Lopez has one particularly impressive scene at the very Mm. beginning of the movie, but you're not, or at least I wasn't sitting there like drooling for any reason. You're looking at her and you're revering her for her athleticism. And I feel like that kind of respect is what put this on another level. And it's also, I think the TIFF launch was one of the Mm -hmm. smartest things that they could have done. Because you're right. I think many went in, and it's fair when you have a trailer and you have a logline that might sound like this one does, where you make certain assumptions about a movie. Mm. The second you use a festival like TIFF as a launching pad, that could be a game changer. And it just so happens that they had an excellent movie. It got all that buzz out of TIFF and propelled them into an epic weekend. Uh, Yeah, it could work great in the case of Hustlers, but not (laughs) in another movie we're going to talk about. But listen, I mean, on top of everything that both of you just said, Mm. I mean, it's based on a true story. Right. And Jennifer Lopez is a really good actor. I mean, she should have been nominated for Selena, which was a oh, breakthrough yeah. role, really put her on the map as an actress in mm-hmm. a feature film. And then Out of Sight came a couple years later. But I think that she is looking at a supporting actress you nomination. You really do? Th- so yeah, I do. Mm. I walked out of this movie thinking, every, I think every single one of them in this ensemble is truly exceptional. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. thought Jennifer Lopez is so, so good. I didn't, because it's like that time of year. You know how it is now when we see so many performances. And I think maybe it was because I had just seen Marriage Story before this. And I walked out of that being like, Adam Driver, you're in. Scarlett Johansson, you're probably probably in. And with Jennifer Lopez, I'm like, that was a great performance. (laughs) Not quite convinced. But I will say that the big box office, I think, is something that could tip the scale, especially if Hustlers hold strong now through October. Well, like going into this coming weekend, you know, you got Ad Astra, you got Downton Abbey, you got Rambo Last Blood. And I think that because the word of mouth is going to be is already so Mm -hmm. strong for Hustlers, Mm. I think it's going to have a very strong hold, just like holding on to that pole. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of which, I don't think we should just dismiss this as a general. Lorenz Scafari has done a 
nice, from what I'm reading, he's done an incredible job with this film and everyone's responses to it. I went to see The Meddler over there at the NoHo years ago because I liked that cast with Susan Sarandon getting involved in this whole situation back and forth about the mom getting involved with, uh, sorry, with, this, with her daughter's love lives. And I was like, oh, this is a good independent film. This is a good independent film director and getting a larger platform to showcase her work. A lot of what you see in the film has to be attributed to the director. A lot of the performances oh, have to be attributed to the director. So as great as Lopez is uh, and as great as uh, Constance Wu is and other people in the cast, Lorraine Scafari, you have to come back to her as well. Absolutely. Right? All right. You teased it before, man. So we got to talk a little bit about the Goldfinch because the Goldfinch Oof. had the exact opposite, opposite. thing yep. happen at TIFF. I, so I told some of you guys I had started reading the audiobook, but we're listening to the audiobook before <laughs> I went to Toronto because I wanted to, you know, get up to speed. I was doing some interviews. I wanted to be knowledgeable about it. Got through about a quarter of it, went and saw this movie. And I think within a couple of minutes of it starting, I'm like, uh oh, like something's not quite clicking. And then sure enough, it never really took off. I did go back to the audiobook just recently, though, and I'm still loving the book, but. The movie, it's just, they have so many great elements in it, and they don't come together whatsoever. First of all, it, it really is, looking at Toronto, looking at that weekend, at the, that Saturday and Sunday where you had Hustlers premiere mm -hmm. on Saturday, mm -hmm. and look what happened at that box office, overperformed. And then you have the, uh, Goldfinch premiering the very next night, and it also junketed that weekend, too. Mm -hmm. And not only did it underperform, it crashed and burned. Yeah. It went up in flames. I mean, it was, I think I read that out of, like, wide releases mm -hmm. from from studios it's the sixth worst opening for a wide release of all time so what happened here well I did not read the book I tend to sort of stay away from the source material because I think a movie should stand on its own I don't want yep. to compare this to that I don't want to compare it to the book I don't want to compare it to a TV series I don't want to compare it to a comic I just want to see a movie and enjoy the film I didn't think the movie was terrible wasn't great it was too long but when you have like People like uh, you know Ansel Elgort and Nicole Kidman. Mm. I felt like the movie should have done better just based on those names alone. But I think to to take the title from another film that premiered in Toronto, I think critics really had their knives out. Ew. Knives out, fine there, pal, for the Goldfinch. And it's not a great movie. It's too long. It falls apart. Or at least it goes off the rails towards the end. It feels like it's going to end a few times. And because I guess the book is a Pulitzer Prize winner, it, it just didn't measure up. And it was just one of those movies. Everybody just pounced on it, and it, it just fell mm -hmm. apart. I look at the psychology of this sometimes with critics and the reviews of some of movies like like this. They come out – some of those reviews can be so angry and vitriolic, and uh, and they're just like so upset that this film didn't do it for them. They wanted it to do it, and the length of it, the performances, the way it was all constructed. There was so much in these reviews that were so negative about the film. And yeah. I, I wonder how much of that is you coming in wanting to – and then getting offended or mad – that they're pissing away a good story or a good uh, possibility for a film, wanting that film to fight against the larger blockbuster films, which seem to be consuming the theater. So I've noticed this recently over the last year, as I'm reading these reviews, some of them have, have used their vitriol for those smaller, more independent films to destroy them. And I wonder about where that psychology comes uh, from. This isn't a small film, and also going oh, in with uh, expectations is what makes somebody's reaction personal, which is why right. we have so many critics out there that are all worth reading and watching, because yeah, I'm not a, saying movie is a, a movie is a personal experience for anyone, but thinking about 
about one of the comments you just made. Yep. Yes, maybe I did go into the movie with light expectations because I was really enjoying the book. And mm. I think that this could have made a great cinematic experience. And it's unfortunate that it didn't. But the other upsetting thing to me is that I could see so many individuals delivering like peak work. I thought Oaks Fegley and Sarah Paulson were Oaks excellent in this movie. And we're talking about a movie shot by Roger Deakins with one stellar looking frame after mm. the next. And it just doesn't spark that emotion. So I think the big difference is maybe not going overboard with ripping a movie to shreds and not justifying your criticisms right. rather than, you know, just being plain old mean for no reason and not yeah. backing it up. I, I think, John, you bring up a very, very, very good point. You know, the early buzz on the film was not great. Right. And then the reviews were also not great. And I feel like people just went in wanting to hate it, looking for things that they were going to dislike about it. And there, there, are, there is stuff to dislike, but I think it just mm -hmm. went over the top. I think it was... It, it was unfairly trashed. Uh, I mean, it was not a great movie, but it's not terrible. It's not like right. it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Well, and people aren't going to go spend their money on films like these kinds of films. And yeah, maybe it's a big studio film, but it has a smaller independent feel to it. It's a it's $40 a million dollar production great, budget. But it can still look like a small independent film. And those are those things that you look at and you're like, okay, do I want to go spend my money on a film like this? And if the reviews are bad, no. You know why? Because I don't want to be stuck in a theater for two and a half hours with a terrible movie. So they're not going to go. People don't have the time anymore. People are working multiple jobs. The, the, the ticket prices are too high. They don't have the time to take a chance on things like this anymore like they used to, unless the reviews are strong. I, I look at Goldfinch and I compare it to Booksmart. And I want, like, it, these are two interesting things to explore because Booksmart, great reviews, great critics. Was it just yeah. the rollout? Here's all these terrible reviews, way more expensive film, as you said, 40 million, but yet people totally didn't go patronize this thing at all. So it's reviews, just, it's wondering. Reviews can definitely sway mm. a public, I think, when it comes to seeing a movie or not, but also it cannot happen. It's like every single time yeah. we talk about box office, there's not just one factor that you could say, this is why the movie succeeded or failed. Right. There's always a million different things, which is part of the reason why I love this topic so uh, much. The, the other thing is about Hustlers. When I did go to the premiere in Toronto on Saturday night, 9.30, and the energy in the room was mm -hmm. off the hook. Mm. You know, the, the energy, you know, the the excitement, it's infectious. If you're sitting in a room and everyone is having a great time whooping and hollering and really living it up, you know, that, that really gets under you, that mm -hmm. gets to you, and it, it does sort of sway you in that direction. Now, the movie's great anyway, mm -hmm. but I know that like because of where I saw it and the energy in the room, I remember it more because of the circumstance. Yeah, it was, it, the breakdown of box office mojo was interesting too because it, 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 it was a majority female audience that was pushing this thing and uh, uh, the um, the age range of the majority female audience was of a lower age and, and combined with the older. So that's a positive because I think Hollywood Reporter was talking about these female-led films this year that didn't come out and make money and they were wondering if they're like with, uh, with The Kitchen and with Booksmart and a couple other films, like was the public's taste still there and this proves it is yeah. if the movie is good enough and, hacks, good. and grabs the interest and it definitely grabbed the interest of the younger social media using generation that want because there were so many memes and so many yes queen and all that stuff was on there that people were looking forward to seeing it and I think J-Lo being part of that stuff on Fox the talent show all that stuff staying in the public's eye in the younger public's eye helps to boost her profile on, on the film about, about the kitchen 
Yeah. Know, I did well. the kitchen bomb. I mean, that's not a good movie. Not good that's the kitchen not a good movie. Right. Well, the kitchen was bad, but, you know, it's it, – I mean, the kitchen also was another bomb for Warner Brothers. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, other than It Chapter well, 2, they've been having a rough go. Luckily, they, they have, have Joker right around the corner, and I, I think there's already tons of early projections out there that are expecting mm. big, big numbers for that one. I can't wait to cover that more when we talk box office. Yep. But now we got to move on to a special news segment that we're doing. So, again, when we launched this new edition of Movie Talk, one of the things that we wanted to do is give you segments that you don't usually get on the show and the one that we're going to highlight today is a movie you might have missed so the movie Monos debuted this weekend and I know Roca had seen it in mm-hmm. advance but it was a movie that wasn't really on my radar and I don't know if it's the same for you Mance but the two of us watched it this yep. weekend because we wanted to talk about it here to give you a little background on this I'm going to read the official synopsis in a remote mountaintop setting somewhere in Latin America a rebel group of teenage commandos perform military training exercises while watching over a prisoner for a shadowy force known only as the organization. After an ambush drives the squadron into the jungle, fracturing their intricate bond, the mission begins to collapse. So there's a reason we're highlighting this movie on this show today to urge you all to see it. I thought this one was phenomenal. What did you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Look, this this is South America. This is my people. This is stump. This is this spoke to me on so many levels, which is why I worked so hard to get Julianne Nicholson to come on the Deep Cut, which is an episode coming up soon. She spoke about the movie for a good twenty to twenty five minutes in her experience working with Alejandro Landis. They actually shot this in Colombia in the conditions that you see. They were in those jungles in areas of the jungle that hadn't been explored yet, hadn't been hadn't been shot in. And it's incredible and also a fantastic story that aligns itself with Beasts of No Nation. I know people compare it to Lord of the Flies, and there are certainly a lot of influences of Lord of the Flies in the movie, along with the pig's head. It's all there. But there's also this idea of the child warriors. And this civil war has been going on in Colombia for 60 years. And the the director, Alejandro Landes, wanted to highlight that, wanted to highlight the story of the young fighters who get involved in the situation and then how the power dynamics change and how they can get exposed to certain things and what might happen to them as this goes along. And of course, Julian Nixon, as the American engineer uh, hostage, adds another element to this. And she's incredible in the movie. All all of these kids, uh, just about all these kids, except for the actor from Hannah, Montana, are new actors. They found in Columbia. They cast out of small towns. So all of it is fantastic. And the film grips you, holds you, and doesn't let you go until the final moment. And you will come out uh, changed or at least way more interested to explore this story because of the quality of this movie. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, after going to two back-to-back film festivals, tell you right, and then straight into Toronto, yeah. saw a whole lot of movies. I was a little movied out. So thank you for the heads up on having me see this movie. And thank you for that great review that I absolutely completely agree with. It is so atmospheric and immersive and intense and riveting and mesmerizing. The performances are fantastic. You know, kudos to Julian Nicholson yeah. for a searing physical and emotional performance. Uh, it is definitely, I definitely thought about Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because of a couple other scenes in the film, I also, I also thought about Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. which is a movie I know you are a big fan yes. of, and I know you are too, but uh, it is, this is the kind of film where using a platform like Collider to appeal to, 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 to sort of get the word out to our viewers and our fans, mm. 
to seek this movie out and see it because it is absolutely worthy. It's one of the best movies of the year. So thanks for the tip. Agree with your review. I will uh, second just about everything you guys said. I think the atmosphere was one of the things that struck me most. Mm -hmm. Also, the way that it's shot really does give you that boots on the ground feeling Mm -hmm. like you're right in the thick of it with Mm -hmm. them. And it kind of encourages you to lean in a little. It's not necessarily a movie with a, you know, get from point A to point B and then we'll wrap it up in the end you get to live with these characters for a little while and you don't have a clear sense of who they are and where they stand in the group until you sit with them a little bit. And that's the kind of feeling that makes you, you know, lean in and look at the expressions on their face as someone's behaving one way and something else is happening over here. Mm-hmm. And just to see the hierarchy change throughout the movie too and how certain individuals in the group choose to assert their power, it's just... It's a very, it's a very at- atmospheric and engaging, I guess, almost character study yeah. where I walked away feeling like I got to know every single individual yeah. in Monos mm-hmm. and also uh, Julian Nicholson. She mm-hmm. is something else She's in that great. movie. It's just sometimes I sit there and I watch performances like that and I'm like, how do you do that to yourself? You just gave everything you have to a really physically exhausting role and I just applaud you because the results across the board in this one, please, please seek this one out. Yeah, also the the uh, uh, score from Micah Levy. Le- yes. Levy is fantastic. She did Jackie and Under the Skin. That, so that atmospheric under the skin. thing. And it's like yeah. that familiar theme that keeps yes. kicking back in yeah. that really, it like it, it gets under your skin mm. but but in a good way yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah if you want to catch monos for yourself it's in select theaters now it first came out september 13th it's a neon movie neon is doing some really great work this mm-hmm. year so i just big applause to them as well but see if it's playing in a theater near you all right before we move on to our last panel segment of the show we've got some teases for you here's what you've got coming your way on collider video is there an ad? I don't think so. There's sports time. Sports time's happening. Yeah, Rocco, hey. what's happening on sports time? Yeah, we're going live today at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Sports time. That's Scott Mance. He won't be on it, but I will be hosting it. Josh McCuga is on it, and so is Jay Washington. Talk about all the NFL stuff, all the big news. We just found out Big Ben Roethlisberger. He is out for the season. Drew Brees out for six weeks. Darnold out for seven weeks. So much to talk about, plus college football and a little FIBA World Cup action for basketball as well. Nice. And on top of that, we're also going to give you the heads up that Collider Heroes is coming your way later this week so keep an eye out do not miss the new episode all right topic number two today we are talking a little uh, toronto international film festival 2019 specifically this whole deal about the people's choice award mm-hmm. because like i said earlier that is a big deal uh nine of the last 10 winners went on to get Academy Award nominations for Best Picture, which is a huge, huge Mm -hmm. deal. And the fact that Jojo Rabbit won this award this year, it it really could mean something. And I'm curious, especially having seen it, Scott, did you expect Jojo Jojo to be a top contender for this award, or did you Uh, expect it to go to something else? I actually did expect it to be a top contender. Being at the premiere for that film, the energy in the room, I felt like like people people really got it. And it's also a different movie. It's it's unlike any other film that has been at any of the film festivals, Venice, Telluride, and then Toronto, and uh, Taika Waititi, you know, just uh, is uh, revered as a, as a visionary with his, with his body of work, and here's a film that it's really kind of hard to define, hard to describe, mm-hmm. hard to peg into, like, one particular, like, plot point or description, but I sort of liken it as a cross between, like, a Wes Anderson movie and Life is Beautiful, 
I think I compared a little bit of it to Moonrise Kingdoms, even just like from, from a, I guess, a plot point, but also like a visual perspective yeah, at the very beginning of the movie. You know, but this is a film that it is, it's a satire. That's it. Okay. It is a Holocaust satire. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I, uh, you know, people be like, how do you do that? But uh, it actually is what it is. It's very, very funny. The script is great. It, like I laughed out loud many, many times. But the brilliance, the brilliance of the film here is that when it shifts gears, it shifts tones, it does so seamlessly, and it is serious when it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the young actors in this movie, uh, Roman Griffin Davis, so standout, Thomas and McKenzie, who was terrific in Leave No Trace with mm. Ben Foster, terrific uh, uh, performance as well. But really, it is about the look of the film, the style of it, just the, the screenplay is superb, the, the pace of it. And of course... It is from Fox Searchlight. So hmm. you talk about nine out of the last ten uh, People's Choice Award winners get a, not, at least nominated for a Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the movies that actually won the People's Choice that won, you have 12 Years a Slave, Fox Searchlight, Slumdog Millionaire, Fox Searchlight, also The King's Speech, and for better or worse, the most recent Best Picture winner, which is Green Book. So start your comments yeah. below because I know you all got a lot to say about Green Book. When you I do. Picture. <laughs> I, I certainly I, I saw a lot of those comments when I tweeted out about it. But regardless, uh, I, I think that I, I was very pleased that it went. I thought it might have gone to something more more uh, crowd pleasing, like uh, maybe Ford Ferrari or something like that. Yeah. But I was very very happy that it went to I Jojo Rabbit. I will definitely second you on that. This was my favorite movie at TIFF 2019 mm. and the only one of the big reasons I guess why I thought it might not have won this honor and also why even after seeing it and loving it as much as I did I kind of bumped it down on my predictions list for best picture is just because of the subject matter mm. which I can understand great sensitivity to that and concern about how he expresses his points regarding that but the fact that this is so successfully told from the young star's perspective, mm-hmm. it, it's something that we've never really experienced as far as the Holocaust and Hitler being represented on the big screen before. And I don't know, it, it really just kind of like rocked me to my core to be able to see like in such a like a terrible, terrible thing, just like a little silver lining, a little beauty, a little of just people coming together and helping each other and supporting mm. each other and celebrating the good in life. Yep. I just I walked out of this movie feeling freaking inspired. <laughs> now, and there, I love that sensation. There is a little bit of, uh, you know, some of the reactions coming out of Toronto were that with the rise around the world. Yeah of anti-Semitism. Like, it's really, it's really the worst it's been in a very, very long time. And here's a film that like, makes fun of the Holocaust. And, well, it makes fun of it, but it's a satire of the Holocaust. And I think that, that, that if, if, you, if you're approaching the subject matter from this point of view, and it keeps people aware of, of really that, that, A, that happened, but it, it makes it part of the conversation. I think that's a good thing. I think that's, that's the thing that concerns because I haven't seen it. You guys yeah. have seen it, so I'm very envious, and I want to see it. I want to make up my own mind about it. But looking at it from the outside, this subject matter that it tackles, usually if it's tackled in a serious way, it wins the short film documentary, it wins this, or it comes in contention for Best Picture. Those kinds of films that deal with Nazism and go back to World War II and talk about that, they're revered by the Academy uh, for many reasons. Uh, but you look at this uh, film and you go, okay, 
this is kind of like a little bit a little bit connected like the producers making fun of this idea of springtime for Hitler all that that goes on but this is really on the nose satire about this situation and I've seen people online and uh, you know people of note commenting this is not something to be made fun of this is not some a material to try to find a funny way into so we'll see if that becomes an issue for people to go see this movie you can trumpet it to the heavens look Scott Pilgrim Edgar Wright coming a hot off Hot Fuzz Shaun of the Dead People, this is going to be great coming out of Comic-Con. People love it. It sank. People didn't connect to the material as strongly. I wonder how this is going to go. Taika Waititi does have a name, but it's also Thor helps that name, the MCU. His smaller stuff hasn't really blown up at the box office. It's it done well. Out. So we'll see. We'll see. I think this is a good test of Taika Waititi's drawing power as a director. You have Scarlet, but it's a, it's an, a story about Hitler and the Nazis and about this kid's relationship to that and in a satirical way. So I'm curious to see what it does in the box office. I think it'll show us a lot. You know, in terms of like the, the chances now for Jojo Rapid at the Oscars, yeah. I think if you've looked just in the last like, you know, 25, 30 years about movies that have won Oscars in various forms, obviously Schindler's List. Then you have Life mm. is Beautiful. Then you have The Pianist, you know, the Roman Polanski, Adrian Brody movie. Right. Uh, you know, this is something that this is obviously a subject matter that a lot of Academy voters uh, have always kept close to their their awareness mm-hmm. and even with the doubling of the Academy and with the diver- especially now with the diversity in the Academy ranks mm-hmm. and the gender balance in the Academy ranks uh, I, I think that this movie is definitely going to be a big play during award season for picture, for director, and for screenplay for sure. Can I ask you too were you, oh sorry Perry, no, sorry. No, keep going. I just want to ask you too, do you, were you both surprised that Joker didn't take this thing and no. Jojo did no, coming I, off the I, Golden Lion? I didn't expect oh. Joker to take it. Okay, even coming off the Golden Lion win, that's what I'm saying. Even did though that? it took Venice after seeing the movie, I yeah. did not expect Joker to take the people's choice okay. for for Toronto. Yeah, neither did. neither did I. I think when I was trying to predict what could win this award, my mm. mind went to crowd pleaser <laughs> or movies okay. that I saw at premieres that had the most electric response. So yeah. gotcha. I had narrowed it down to like maybe this, Knives Out, Ford v Ferrari, mm-hmm. uh, Waves. Waves got a huge. That's another mm. A twenty four movie. Keep an eye out for it. It is one of the best of the festival. Yep, great. The response to that movie was something else. So I thought those were all going to be uh, in the mix there. But just briefly, what do you guys now think of Marriage Story and Parasite as the second and third runner-up for this honor? Do you think that they're going to get into the Best Picture uh, nomination as well? For sure, for sure. I think both of those movies, including Parasite, I think yeah. Parasite is a, is a film that could get, that will get nominated for Foreign Film and for Best Picture. I'm watching that one for director as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Marriage Story is, as long as Academy voters can get out of the way that it's a uh, that it's a Netflix movie because I think that hurt Roma for best picture in a lot of ways last year that's oh it's it's a Netflix movie but Marriage Story is the Kramer versus Kramer of the 21st century it's a fantastic movie uh you know we'll we'll get into that elsewhere but uh both of those movies Parasite and Marriage Story any one of those films uh, any one of those three movies would have been worthy to win the people's choice for 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 Toronto I mean I think there've been two runner-ups recently that have won best picture have won best picture so that's to the to the audience award so that's that's certainly in the realm of possibility I don't know if Parasite necessarily gets in there for best picture it'll probably best foreign language certainly but uh best picture it it's got some it's got some it's got a little bit of a hill to climb to get there I think for people's awareness of it but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility 
just think it's a harder road. As for marriage ceremony, we'll see. I think I marriage story. Oh, marriage, sorry, marriage story. All the reviews I've seen have been so positive that it's a film that was not on my radar and is now on my radar to watch because of the fantastic films uh, reviews rather. So I'm I'm curious to see if those two uh, get nominations. Uh, one overall. more movie that did get nominated, but, but another another movie that did win the People's Choice Award and actually did win Best Picture for about 90 seconds. La La Land. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we knew we weren't going to get away from that without a La La Land. Gotta reference. say, oh you know, keeping that thing going. Jesus. As much as I love that movie, I have such respect for your passion for that passion. movie, more mm. so than anything. It rocked my world. All right, guys, this new edition of Movie Talk will still incorporate live chat questions and comments. And specifically, we need to talk right now. Actually, this one comes from good old Dorian. Thank you for alerting me to this. We'll talk about it on tomorrow's show, but there's a story on Deadline right now that says Warner Brothers and Animation plans a Funko film based on collectible figures. We're going to dig into that tomorrow. That wow. sounds absolutely fascinating. Right now, we're going to take a question from Langley M. Neely, who's asking, what is a film that was successful that you love, that you were amazed it didn't get a sequel? For me, it's a simple favor. A uh, simple favor? Oh, that was a terrific yeah, movie. it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just watched that Did last really? night on Amazon oh, Prime. Funny. I was like looking for it, and that came out last year, and I thought Anna Kendrick was fantastic yeah. in the movie. And, and Blake, Blake Lively. Lively should have been nominated for yeah. that movie, directed by Paul Feig, who did uh, uh, you know, Bridesmaids and the, the Ghostbusters movie. What's the movie. release date? Uh, I feel was, like you're building it, to it. It was September of 2018. Okay. I, just, I know you're, it was September. I, I don't know the day. <laughs> Forgive me for not knowing the day, Perry, but yeah, between La La Land movie release dates, Mance is very well represented on this episode of Movie Talk. I got to think about that for a second. What about you, John? Uh, I would say for me, and I tweeted about it over the weekend, actually, randomly, uh, The Foreigner, the Jackie Chan movie. Mm. That that was a a fantastic film. He did incredible dramatic work under the hands of Martin Campbell, the director of the film. Uh, I thought he was was so good. And And I tweeted, how can we get three Olympus Has Fallen sequels all these other sequels for these films and we can't get, or Terminator sequels that don't work and we can't get a sequel to The Foreigner which is such a great action film that makes real great use of Jackie Chan's acting abilities, dramatic acting ability. The fights are just an extension of what he's already doing as an actor versus the fights being the highlight in his other films. This is a quiet film that could be told, uh, he could be an Avenger going down the road as, uh, I mean, not an Avenger from the you know, superhero stuff, but an Avenger against people who are doing terrorist bombings and killing innocent people. This is an interesting thing to explore. Another one, Running Scared from 1989, I think. Gregory Hines and uh, Billy Wait, I think it was 88. 88, fine, 88. Wait, yeah, Whatever. 88, I you yeah. release yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you think it's on the man? Yeah, Titanic. Movie made oh, $2.2 billion dollars worldwide. Come on, imagine. Imagine the title. Titanic 2. Back in action. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to happen. Not going to happen. I think this is just because it was mentioned earlier in the show and it's like fresh on my mind right now. But I wouldn't mind a Booksmart se- sequel. And with Ooh. that in mind... A super bad sequel. I mean, it was such a big deal that the two of them were so, so close and then mm-hmm. had to part ways to, like, pursue their path at college and beyond. So I wouldn't mind reuniting with those characters and seeing where they wound up. So those are my choices. Mm-hmm. All right. We have one more really important question before we say goodbye. Roka, you better be ready for this one. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, here all right. Go. Jay Scott for real is asking, how do you all take your bread in the morning? Toast, oh, bagel, or baguette? <laughs> 
You know what? <laughs> when I was supposed to move to for a few days, this bread thing consumed my life because I thought it was ridiculous. I get it. You know, Perry uh, slacks me. Bread is life, Roka. Get on board. So I had to get on board. Uh, it depends on what I'm in the mood for in the morning. Usually I'll get a bagel. Sometimes I'll get a nice uh, sprouted grain flat over there at Panera. Uh, or sometimes I'll just pull me out a oh nice... Oh, my. Are you not going to Noah's? Uh, I know. I've stopped going to Noah's. Oh, okay. and the, I'm starting to... I'm starting, I want to lose weight, so the less bagels I eat in the morning, the better for me overall. So, uh, but I will. But I went to a, a, a farmer's market this weekend, and they, there are people who make like bread fresh out of their stone ovens and bring to sell ten dollars this loaf of a rye bread, which I love, and it, it weighed as heavy as I don't know a, a, a concrete, and when you ate it, soft as cotton. So good. All right, what's your what's your bread of choice, man? Bagel. Oh, come on, I'm Jewish. What do you expect? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what else would I say? Well, actually, uh, okay, I did wait, have. Wait. I, I, did I have, have a follow up question for okay, you then. Oh, okay. So, yeah. being in LA, uh-huh. needing a good bagel, uh-huh. where do you go? Because oh. I have not. So, found well, there's anything. this place at the farmers market in Third and Fairfax okay. that actually has really good bagels, All but right. I did not go there this morning because I was driving on my way in. Stopped off at Starbucks, got my triple grande not fat latte and my toasted <laughs> bagel with butter, and I'm good to go. Bagels, baby, come on! Right. But no, LA is the worst place for bagels. <laughs> it, it really is. Like, yeah. I thought that was just like a myth, but all of a sudden the pizza and it's bagel the problem. Pizza it, it, and bagel problem, and a, also it's a real thing. Also the cheesesteak problem. From born and raised in Philadelphia. I've been in L.A. for 28 years, and I have yet to find a good place for Philly cheesesteaks in L.A. So if you're watching right now, hit me up on Twitter, at MovieMans. Help a brother out. Tell me where to go for a good Philly cheesesteak in Southern California. Thank you. One of my uh, new go-tos before I do my long runs now uh-huh. is a bagel with a little bit of peanut butter on it. Oh, and that that's protein. Gets, protein. Me, gets me going. going. And uh, then I have my pack of energy jelly beans at around 9, 10 miles. Very good. It's a great mix. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for this very first edition of 9 a.m. Movie Talk. With this new format, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Please hit the comment section below and share your thoughts on this new episode. Special segments you might want to see. We love hearing what you guys think. As always, I must thank my panelists, Mance, Roca. Thank you for, thank for you. being the guinea pigs today. <laughs> A huge thanks to Cody and Thad in the booth for working super hard on this format and the graphics. Dorian for always having my back in the live chat. To everybody out there, do not leave this video without liking and sharing it. And guess what? We're talking about that Jurassic World short film tomorrow on Movie Talk. So I'll see you then. 9 a.m. PT. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. 
It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.